Hello and welcome to episode 57 of Beekeeping at Five Apple Farm. This is Lee. I am so glad you've joined me today. On the phone, I will be interviewing Corey Stevens, a queen breeder that I have really enjoyed getting to know. The first way I got to know him was I ordered some of his queens, and they were the first virgin queens I had ever ordered. I wanted to try out the genetic lines he was working on and had great results, so I very much wanted to get him on the phone and ask him lots of questions. His website, which you're going to want to look at, is stevensbeeco.com. That's S-T-E-V-E-N-S-B-E-E-C-O.com. There, Corey offers some nukes for his local area, breeder queens for his local area, and virgin queens, which he ships all over the place. This episode is probably more for the intermediate beekeepers or the intermediate beginner beekeepers. If you've gotten comfortable with making splits from your hives and maybe introducing mated queens in a cage, you're comfortable with all that, then you may want to step it up and try out virgin queens. There are some cool advantages to virgin queens in that you get to mix them right away with the bees in your area, which Corey and I talked about. As with every interview and show on this podcast, it would not be possible without the generous support of the listeners over at patreon.com slash fiveapple who keep everything going around here. So here's Corey. So today we have Corey Stevens of Stevens Bee Company. Hello, Corey. Hello. I am so glad to get you on the phone because I will just say up front, your queens are some of the most exciting queens that I have tried in my yard. That is awesome news. Glad to hear that. I love that. And and also I will say, and I do want you to talk more about this, your mm-hmm. uh, queens were the first virgin queens that I ever ordered from anybody and tried that out. I followed the directions on your website about how to introduce them, and it worked great. I think I got like four out of five. Great. Yep, that's good. I admit, when I first got on your website a couple years ago, I was like, what do you mean he only sells virgin queens? Mm-hmm. And and at first I thought that was a downside, and but now I feel like it's an upside because, I mean, I'm pretty pleased with the bee lines that I've developed here in the home yard. To me, the delight of starting with virgin queens is just right out of the gate, boom, I've got my F1 cross and I can really evaluate how the cross is quicker. Exactly. And it's more localized too. Like you said, if you're working on something specific or you just have something that works really well in your area you know you can get that concentrated mite resistance some stuff that i've kind of let mother nature hammer forge out already and then like you said open mate that with what you've already got and even before i was really breeding a whole lot i just had some swarms and just you know what i'm saying a hodgepodge of everything that i'd caught and whenever i would open mate those uh virgins out of an ii breeder that were both vsh lines they're heavy on the mite resistance the colonies are just phenomenal well i was very pleased So let me back up here and tell me about your company. Tell me where you are, what you're, what it's like there, weather-wise there in the Ozarks and how how you got started in this queen business. Okay. Um, My company is Stevens Bee Company. We are in Bloomfield, Missouri. So we're kind of just east of the Ozarks and I'm positioned right on top of, if people are 
from this area, they'll probably recognize the term. They call it Crowley's Ridge. So it's just kind of rolling hills where I'm at. Um, you know, we see negative temperatures occasionally, but we're in southeast Missouri, so we're just north of Arkansas just a little bit. But, you know, they do see sub-zero temps, but this winter's been pretty mild. Um, what else did you ask me? <laughs> well, just how did you go from beekeeper to into the um, queen rearing business? Well, that's that's a long story. I'm I'm kind of an ADD kid, so it's really hard for me to pay attention to stuff I'm not interested in, you know, like trigonometry, calculus, things of that nature. But biology, I just always, I just loved it, and it was really easy for me. And my mom said whenever I was a little, uh, I was a child, she said I should be an entomologist when I grow up, just for my love of nature and insects and whatnot. So I guess she wasn't too far off, although I don't have a Ph.D., But my dad had gotten some colonies with my brother, and, uh, you know, they were kind of getting into it as a business venture, and then they kind of figured out it may not be their cup of tea, you know, how it is. It's a lot of manual lifting, you know, profitability can be challenging oftentimes in beekeeping, and so they just kind of lost interest in it a bit. And whenever I picked it up or opened up a colony to check, you know, what what the hype was all about, I got in there and I was a hopeless addict from then on out. It was just so amazing. And, you know, every... Every colony is different when you look in it. They're doing different things. The environment affects it. I've always loved plants and things, so it just kind of ties neatly into that. Well, I love it. Actually, my last guest that I interviewed, Tina Sebastian, it's so funny that you would say that because she got into bees when she got some bees for her dad, and then he didn't like them so much, so she ended up with them. <laughs> and I love this I secondhand passion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can so identify with the addiction factor. I listened to another interview of yours where you talked about, I think it qualifies as an addiction. And so I had posted on Facebook the other day, you know, it's like, you know, it's got you bad when on a January night, you're in the basement workshop going, oh my God, I'm so happy to be scraping these frames. Exactly. It does definitely have an addictive quality. I know it's probably hard for some to envision just because they sting. You know, I think that's what a lot of people think. But if you get past the sting, you know, there's a whole nother little universe in there. I'll say. Well, so then you got into the beekeeping. Now, how did the fascination with queens come about? Well, I was the only one working whenever I, you know, got terribly addicted. And it was just one of those deals, you know, you're going through colonies and you know that there's an issue and that it could be corrected, you know, potentially if you would requeen it or, you know, try different genetics. Like I would have chalk brood. I haven't seen that since I started using the BSH line. Um, I would see my issues, just weak colonies, you know, and my wife, the accountant type. So I was having to come up with all these great sales pitches to how to invest, you know, invest more money in these things that I wasn't even really harvesting much honey out of. And I wasn't doing a real good job of that because she's not easily fooled. <laughs> you got to watch out for I those accountant like, types. Yep, yep. <laughs> you do. They're hard, they're hard to get around. you got to make a convincing case. But I guess I, she just heard me obsess about it enough. I just really started looking at genetic factors that would give them an added edge. And then I just started studying every form of queen rearing known to mankind and just, you know, thinking about queen quality and all that. And 
you know, which I had some commercial beekeeper friends around me that, you know, would encourage me. Like I would read everything. And I remember one of the guys, he runs several thousand colonies. I kept talking to him about it. He goes, would you put that book down and just go do it? And that was actually what I needed because I had read so much. And I, I don't know, I think some people get scared to just try it, you know, and the first time I tried it, I I usually ask people on my queen rearing courses, I'm like, how many how many queens do you think I got? You know, they're like, I don't know, five, ten, and somebody will say zero. I'm like, you're so mean, but right. <laughs> so I mean, you know, it's something you kind of have to learn as you go. But I would just encourage people not to be scared to try because it's not as bad as you think, really. I love that. I I love that story because it is true. I, um, uh, I I do think people either hit hit a bunch or none. And I, I mm-hmm. hit a bunch right at first. I mean, it, it, it just, oh, yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's like, I'm a nurse. So it's like, I can do sterile field, you know, equipment, all this yeah. uh, procedures. And so, so I, you know, I thought, oh man, I'm a natural, of course. And then your next batch and you're so proud. And then you go in there and they're all gone and you realize a virgin came oh, yeah. in and wiped them out. Yeah, I've had that happen. It's heartbreaking. <laughs> I say that over and over. Whatever we do, the bees will humble us. They keep us in our place. They do. They do. They do. I, I, I'm a. I'm definitely going to be a lifelong student. I, I mean, the more you know, the more you know you don't know. It's so true. Mm-hmm. It's like your confidence I, kind of, you know, it goes up and then it plummets. And then you're just, yeah. I, and now I, ju- I admit, I judge people on, if they're real cocky, I'm like, my inside voice is going, you haven't done this mm. long, have you? <laughs> yeah. yeah, something's not right. Yeah, right. I've never lost a colony. Right, hey. right. It's like, oh, how many years have you been in this? Oh, two. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, and your beef suit is snowy, white, angelic. That's hilarious. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. So you started so you started raising these queens um with the idea mm-hmm. of uh working on genetics. I, I love that because yeah. I was very drawn to that right away. Um, it, to me it's just so fun. I mean, I kind of grew up in animal husbandry, four H this type thing. And speaking yeah, of this, let me just pause here. It just so happens there is a four H group in Canada that their um mentor has told them they need to listen to this podcast. So I want to give a shout oh, out cool. to the the 4-H group that are listening. You keep on it. That's you awesome. keep going. Well, okay, yeah, you're so on the right path. that is right. I just wish I had discovered it earlier. Well, um, so you started working on these queens, and I do know that mm-hmm. you, um, if I understand correctly, you work toward disease and mite resistance, and you don't use mite treatments on your breeders. Is that correct? No, I, and my operation's not huge. So it's one of those deals, you know, at first I was like, well, you know, maybe I should treat production colonies, but I'm like, I'm not that big. Like all my colonies are test colonies. So I, I like hit a fork in the road and just had to make a decision, you know, and I'm like, I'm just focused on pest and disease resistance. And I've, I've known that from whenever I started back in the day that that was kind of my end in mind or that's what I wanted to focus on or what I felt drawn to. Like, for instance, I bought a, a VSH Italian breeder queen from Tom Glenn before I'd even tried grafting, you know, so maybe I put the cart before the horse. But you I was are so, bold. You, know, you are bold. I'm yeah. my first breeder queen ever this year. That's, wow. Did you really? 
You're bald and slick. Yeah, you got it going. I on. know. <laughs> yeah, she must have had faith in me, I guess, and it, you know, it paid off. But it, it took just a little bit. But the, the crazy thing is, is I, I used to treat a little bit, you know, just because I'm like, well, that's what everybody says you got to do. And so I was really inconsistent about it, and I just hated doing that because I would, you know, like for instance, there was one article I was reading that Tom Glenn, the guy I got the breeder from, uh, that he had written. Well, he was working colonies and he was cutting out burr comb to eat it. And his hive tool stops on a apostan strip and he didn't want to eat the comb. He's like, what are we doing? <clears throat> and I'm not saying you should never treat your bees. It's a, you know, I don't want to be dogmatic about it. Right. I don't, you know, sometimes it's the lesser of two evils. And oftentimes, especially if you don't have heavy mite resistant genetics, you probably need to knock the mites off of it, you know, for the sake of your colonies and your neighbors. But, you know, so there's, there's always a trade off, but I just, I had to go all or nothing. So no antibiotics, no fumadryl, no, you know, no organic acids even since I switched. But it's crazy because a lot of people are like, well, whenever you go treatment free, uh, you know, you need to expect most of your bees to die off. Well, that was actually the opposite of what I saw because of the genetics I had before. And I wasn't treating like I should. Don't get me wrong. I was hesitant about it. But they still look like crap. I mean, I had winter survival issues. They weren't very productive. And then whenever I, I stopped treating at the same time, I switched and was using <clears throat> exclusively VSH queens. <clears throat> So it's weird. I actually saw an improvement whenever I went treatment free, but don't confuse that. It was because of the genetics, you know, not because I abstained from uh, using chemicals. I get it. And I, I actually, um, you know, I've had some people kind of poo poo it, but, but mm -hmm. I started out with really great genetics completely by accident. I got a wild swarm out of the oh, Ozarks. Awesome. And so, you know, I thought, oh, oh, oh. Out of Missouri, huh? yeah, no, I, no, they were the Arkansas Ozarks, but very oh, close right next door. <laughs> And, um, and so they, you know, they did so fabulous and I'm like, oh, wow, all bees look like this. And then when I started seeing other people's hives that were just a disaster, they were pitiful. Yeah. Um, and I, and it finally, I mean, it really, I really started to see the difference, uh, uh, in the genetics. And I do know that your location really matters because I think probably oh, you're in a rural area, aren't you, Corey? I am. And I've got the luxury of there not really being a lot of beekeepers around me. There's just a few and here's Usually they'll swing by and pick up queens from me. So, you know, it, yeah, as with anything in beekeeping, there's so many variables, um, it's, which is, I think is why I like it, because I like variables and I like problem solving. Um, but, you know, like if you were right up against a whole bunch of commercial beekeepers that brought bees from California, it might be a completely different ballgame. I agree. And that, that is, you know, been such a gift to not have anybody right up on me. And I do have a plan, man. If I hear any of my neighbors say, oh, I'm thinking about bees, I already got, uh, I go up to them and I'm like, let's talk. <laughs> I want to give you nukes. I want to give you queens. Let's talk. I'll help. I'll mentor yeah. you, you know, because I just, in the fly exactly. zone, I don't want any, uh, any little refugee camps of, of sick package bees. <laughs> but yes. Exactly. Well, okay. So you got these good genetics and, and you're loving them and you decided to do queens. Talk to me about why you decided to go with the Virgin Queens because we've got some people in our club who are very good queen rears and our one person's about to start a small scale queen business. And so mm -hmm. from your point of view, what were the economic decisions that made you go with virgins? And then I want to talk about the genetic advantage to it. Really, if I wanted to reduce it down, I could 
reduce it down to one word and it's profit. And I don't want people to think that it's all about the money because it's not. But on the flip side, you know, I keep a day job too. I would love to just do bees full time and maybe I'm just a chicken. But, you know, I've got younger kids that we're keeping up with. We've got insurance, you know, things are going great for retirement and whatnot. So, you know, if I can stay healthy long enough, I should be able to, you know what I'm saying, maybe retire and whatnot and not have to work necessarily. I used to sell Mated Queen. I just kept watching the price of nucleus colonies creep up so much. I don't know what they're going for in your area, but it's pretty common for 2020 to see $200 nukes. Yeah, we're seeing about 175 to 200 in our area. Yeah, same here. And I just it just got to where I'm like, wait a minute, I'm selling this queen for $30, and it's the heart out of the watermelon. Whenever I sell this queen and I get my $30, now I have a queenless colony that I have to straighten out. So I basically have a problem to fix. I'm always, I have no problems thinking outside the box. I realize I'm kind of going against the industry a bit, but I think if you talk to a lot of commercial beekeepers, you know, a lot of them will admit that there's not as much profit in there as they'd really like. So if that was just an economic decision for me, I was starting to do artificial insemination and whatnot after I'd learned from Sue Kobe. And so I was really wanting to sell breeder queen and, you know, like Adam Finkelstein at DT Queens. I think he just sells virgin too, which he's ahead of me, experience in years and whatnot and establishment. But I just kind of followed that model. I'm like, well, if you want some really good bees, I'll sell you a virgin but or a queen cell if you're close. But I just, I don't want to go through the trouble. I'd rather just sell the whole nuke and not have a problem to fix and get $200 as opposed to 30 And that's the thing is I don't live in Georgia or Florida. I can't compete with them they've got a longer growing season ours is short so you can only get a couple rounds in if everything goes ideally and how often does that happen you can expect problems or you should so it was just an economic decision for me really um, to just stop selling mated queens i hear you i have said often that there is nothing that will make you happy to pay the price for a mated queen of raising some mated queens and seeing how much work and how much time uh, and how many resources you tie up to get that mated queen. Oh, yeah. I hear you completely. There's a lot of people that have taken my class in Missouri. I've, I've taught it for several years now. Um, you know, I would like to do St. Louis, Kansas City, Columbia, Springfield. You know, I kind of move around and work with the clubs to put on queen courses. And there's a few that have really gotten sizable now. Uh, one in particular, that's his primary income now. He's a commercial beekeeper. And he, he did a little bit of queen rearing. He knows how to do it. And he's like, it's not worth it. I'm not going to do it. He just buys them from another commercial producer that, you know, makes them by the thousands. I hear you. I totally get it. And so what do you sell your nukes for? I, I've i sold them for 200 for several years. I felt like what I was offering was a little bit different. A, there were no local producers around me, period. If they had nukes, they would order queens from somewhere else and make them. And so I just stayed ahead of that price. And so whenever I saw, and I kept that price for years, and they kept creeping up, creeping up, creeping up. And then I knew that they several producers hit 200 this year. I'm like, eh, I bumped it up to 225. So I mean, it's not cheap, but I don't really sell a great deal of them, um, which I do sell uh, my breeder queens. That's another thing. Maybe I'm just stubborn, but oh, I've ordered them like from Adam, and then it was my fault or my bees would kill them. You know what I'm saying? And then I know, oh my gosh, it makes me shudder to think of how many of those emails and calls those guys get, you know, from foreign bees killing them. And so I got to where I may change my mind. I don't know, but I don't mail them either. I'll mail virgins next day or only, but the new, I'll offer 
uh, nucleus colony breeder queens, you know, where she's already established. Right. But those are pickup only too, so I'm probably being a bit stubborn there. But the thing is, is I know <laughs> whenever you pick it up, you can see her brood pattern already. She's already accepted. There's no shipping stress. You can graft out of her when you get home if you want, you know, because she's already laying. And you don't have to worry about a colony that's not used to her killing her by accident. That so, sounds great, yeah. And the, the thing is, is I hoard them all, really. I want to keep them. Whenever I sell them, it hurts my heart. <laughs> I hear you. I, I am so glad to hear this, Corey, because I take all kind of flack. There's a guy in the bee club, and he'll say, now Lee sells queens, but you have to fill out an op- adoption application before she will sell a queen to you. And maybe if you meet her criteria, a- she will sell a queen to you. <laughs> We're going to have a homing interview before. <laughs> Absolutely. Listen, I have an email that's, awesome. that's kind of like a little, it, it's a, a stealth um, interview because it's like, so tell me about your beekeeping man. You know, and if, if they come back with, <laughs> you know, some things I'm like, darn, I am sold out for the season. <laughs> I do not have any. <laughs> I know. I'm very sneaky that way. They're but I mean, well, it's just, you know, you work hard. I, I have an, a friend who's a a beginner queen breeder and she's already there she's already like i am not selling queens to beginners because 90 percent of the time they don't yeah. need a queen and they're just going to kill her right away yep exactly <laughs> well, let i me mean ask oftentimes you, you know let me ask <laughs> you ahead, about Sarah. those breeder queens this year for the first time i'm going to get a breeder queen me and a friend are going in awesome. we're taking the plunge so i'm going to pick her up uh, physically in my car mm-hmm because I cannot stand the thought of her being shipped. But she, but she's not in a nuke. So what is your advice for getting her safely in a nuke where they won't kill her? Oh, well, the first thing I would say is absolutely under no circumstances do a candy release. Like, do not just trust that everything's going to be okay. I would say make up a nuke and have it ready. And whenever you put her in there, leave it capped. You could do it like I recommend for the virgins to where there's no competition. So basically, if you know you're going to pick her up, you know, X date, you could make up a nucleus colony about eight, nine days in advance and then feed them. You know, make them healthy, not just a little, you know, where they'll actually be able to take off whenever you get her in there. But feed them to where they're healthy and there's no stress. Stress is reduced from nutrition anyway. Put her in there, and then I would wait three or four days and then take a look and see how they're acting towards her. And then I would do a manual release once you feel like everything seems to be okay, they're pretty happy. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. Before you try to manually release, make sure there are zero queen cells on any frame. If there are, I would remove them and then put her back in there and just wait another day or so until they know there's no competition. So basically they have a choice, certain death or accept this new queen that Lee's brought from a foreign land. And usually it's option B once they have no other option. That would that would be my recommendation. But that's pretty much kind of like my recommendations for introducing virgin queens too. I like that. Well, I that that is the advice I followed on your virgin queens and was very pleased. Um, but I did. I made them desperate and begging. And then, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, That's so perfect. what is, for the folks who have never used a virgin queen, and the reason why I'm emphasizing this, listeners, is because in our club, we're really working on bee independence. We are working on, mm, in our county, it. we want to provide our members with bees from each other. We don't want anybody to have to go outside our area to get 
uh, queens and nukes. That's our goal. And so I believe one of the keys to that is teaching people how to use virgin queens because any of us can make Mm -hmm. virgin queens and pass them on Mm -hmm. um, to other people. So just talk me through as if we haven't talked about anything else. Okay. It's like, all right, I'm going to get a virgin queen, Corey. How should I Mm -hmm. introduce her? Okay. It's similar to what I what I just uh, detailed out there. You know, whenever there's whenever you have a virgin, it's not like a mated queen, which the thing is, is everyone acts like they never are aggressive towards mated queens. I mean, they often are. That's why I said don't candy release it. Because even if they're mated, a lot of times they'll, they start queen cells, they'll just kill her and throw her out the front. So you wasted your money. I would make up a healthy nucleus colony, move it to wherever you're going to move it, start giving it syrup. Um, if you've got pollen coming in, I wouldn't too worry, wouldn't worry too much about protein supplements. But just where there's nectar coming in, you know, they're kind of like us, if they're, or like me anyway. If I'm really hungry, my temper is a little, you know, my fuse is a little bit shorter. You know, it's the way, that way with most people. Same with bees. They get a little bit stressed out if they don't have adequate nutrition. So put syrup on them. Wait eight or nine days. And the reason you would wait eight or nine days is because, you know, as that queen was laying, you took them away while there's still eggs in there. So there's still going to be eggs for three days. Then you've got, you know, that window of perfect age larvae, 24 hours, 48. They're aging to where it's hard to make a queen, but I've seen them try it with emergency queens. Well, if you wait to eight or nine days, those larvae have aged out to where they can't make a queen out of it. And I guarantee you they probably started queen cells in that. So if you remove every single one of those queen cells, I mean, you need to go over it with a fine tooth comb. If there's a lot of bees on it, brush them out of the way so you can see. Because sometimes they're good at hiding those little emergency queen cells. Make sure you remove all of them. Add the candy cage to virgin. And that delay of eating through that candy lets them realize that they're hopelessly queenless. There's no other option. Because if they have other queen cells started, they'll quite likely go with their own and kill the one that you're really wanting them to take. So that allows them to uh, basically the old or the young larvae to age out so they can't make another queen. And then once, once she's out, I would... I know it's hard for newbie keepers, but I would leave her alone for at least two and a half weeks or so. Make sure she's mated and everything's going okay because sometimes they're a little edgy whenever it's just a virgin in there and the virgin's flighty. So she could fly or they could attack her. So it's best just to leave things alone and let her get established before you start poking around in there. Now, I've broke that rule a lot and I have actually had them bald too. Um, I just couldn't wait. I wanted to look in there and see what was going on. I've kind of gotten over that because I have so many now. You know, it's easier to leave them for three weeks. I hear you. In fact, that is that is one of the most difficult things things and I make myself follow the calendar because I'm just I'm always like well maybe she made it early it was a pretty day yeah. the other day yeah okay mm-hmm. well that's good advice we're, we're introducing that um let me ask you this I had some uh queens that were getting mated it was about the time and I walked out there one day and on one of the little mating nukes there was just a huge cluster of bees and I thought oh you know she's coming back so I was watching and this this ball of bees comes across oh. the yard and I could see them up, up in a, in a, in a oh. tree. They came over and they were almost near the mating nuke. And eventually I, I wasn't standing there, but I saw her come back. Do you think I was seeing, do you see an entourage go out with the queen when she mates or do they meet her, you know, at the driveway to bring her back in? Or do you think that was a drone comet? That's a great question. I'm not really sure. I've seen them come back with a mating sign, you know, where there's a piece of the drone still stuck on their behind right. whenever they come back. So 
So I know she was freshly mated, and I think the workers pulled that off. But I've not seen a chase or a comet. I mean, I've heard my friends mention it. You know, like one guy was saying he's heard them pop. You know, like heard the drones pop or snap in the mating yard. So he he, he said he knew that they were mating right there. Because you'll hear a lot of people say, you know, they'll fly several miles. Like, you know, as like a hard and fast rule. Which, you know, back to us talking about bees making you humble earlier. I don't know if there is a lot of just completely hard and fast rules with that. You know, so I think they're actually mating right there. I'll but, say, you know, I think I've that's the, really... the first thing to go is like no feeling like you know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, I've got this figured out. Here they go. Yeah, but I used to say bees will never, you know, insert whatever you want to say there. They'll, they'll prove you wrong. Absolutely. Well, it was fascinating. <laughs> I mean, I haven't seen that before, but just that little cloud of bees coming back. And I'm like, wow, you know, do they do they take friends out to go <laughs> on their main flight? Or I didn't know. Was it kind of like going. a mini swarm or something? Well, maybe? actually, the sound that's what I thought oh no I'm having a swarm from somewhere and so I started looking around and I saw this little tiny cloud of bees moving Mm -hmm. back toward the mating nuke area came back a few days really puzzled so well do you put drone colonies out for around your mating yards I do and all of my colonies that I really like I add a frame of that green green drone tome you know so they make a whole lot of drones so any of my colonies that I really love are really cranking out the drones and I hear a lot of people say too that you know it'll make them get elevated mite levels and whatnot sounds logical you know a lot of the colonies i'll collect a whole big old cage of drones you know for ii and maybe find a couple mites so i don't know if it's just because it's you know the vsh colonies or the mite levels are just low or what but i don't think it's you know you're sentencing them to death especially if it's a vsh queen talk to me about how do you select your queens that you are going to pick as your lines to reproduce most of the time just letting mother nature hammer them out you know like i said before i've always been really sold on the vsh gene which is not a breed of bee you know any type of honeybee can have can carry the vsh gene i typically have just kind of gone with Italians. I don't know why, just because I like them. I guess I just like the blonde girl. Color, not as much. Mainly just, you know, the ones that can handle my loads that I don't see disease in. That's huge. You know, I've never seen AFB in them, but I've had a, occasionally, like if they're really stressed, I'll find a few with like ESB-like symptoms. You know, automatically if there's any issues like that, they're out. So obviously, they need to be productive. I didn't have to worry too much about temperament until I made some hybrids because of, you know, the Purdue groomers, the allogroomers. Yeah. Well, that's another well-known trait. You know, there's VSH and then there's allogrooming or autogrooming. And so I was like thinking all mad scientists, like, ha, ha, ha. If I can get both those genes in the same bee, there's no safe space for the mites there. And oddly enough, they were. They were mite resistant. They were beetle resistant. And they were beekeeper resistant, too. Like, they were just the, some of them were the meanest little bees you've seen around here. So then I really had to start putting selection pressure on them being docile, too, because I really like to work without gloves. Anyway, that's the selection criteria. So basically, pest and disease resistance, obviously, it needs to be productive. I make a lot of splits that I need to come out of spring and really take off and just be big. You know, I love it whenever I open up those colonies in the spring and you can't even see the frames. There's so many bees in there. It is easy to make bees whenever you have productive stock like that. Cell builders are super easy then. Making splits is super easy because you've got so many resources of, of brood and frames of stores too. You know, so they need to be productive. I just kept going back with known 
stock too, and then I could pick the fathers. You know, I'd go through whenever I'm doing inspections and take notes and mark on top of the colonies. I used to use a Sharpie, but I figured out that sun bleaches it. So I started writing with a little paint marker, you know, different characteristics that I've noticed. So it's easy to go back and trap drones out of the colonies that I really like for the next generation. And this year, I've done it a little bit, but not as consistently as I've liked. I've got a big 50 liter liquid nitrogen dewar. So we're going through, I've got help, some young, excited beekeepers coming to help with uh, alcohol washes and liquid nitrogen testing. (laughs) Early spring, we'll be able to use that too as selection criteria. But I've tried before, but I haven't been, I haven't been consistent, I'll be honest with you. With that, it was difficult. Um, But you know, it's kind of like building a castle. You know, you have to have the foundation, which is just basically figuring out how to manage colonies. And then queen rearing is its own kind of thing that you have to perfect. And then if you get into instrumental insemination, that's going quantum. And it's hard to tie it all together. I'm getting to the point now to where it's it's not difficult to tie it all together. Well, that is very exciting. I love it that, you, yeah, you're up in your game. That's great. That's great. <laughs> Well, okay, so so for my friend who is about to start a little micro queen business, talk me through mm-hmm. how you set up your cell raisers before and I'm I'm assuming you graft. I do graft, yeah. I think it's there's it's not the only way to do it, but you know how there's always with most scenarios there's good, better, best. Well, I mean, there's a reason why all universities teach grafting, you know, as opposed to OTS or some of those other ones. That works fine. It's just so once you figure it out it's so versatile and the queen cells are so easy to use you know they're not stuck on a comb you just pick them off and put them wherever you want them put them in an incubator whatever cell builders that is huge part of the whole process because if you're the best grafter in the world and your bees aren't in the mood to raise queens you're not going to go anywhere so what i started doing is i just get start digging through my colonies in the springtime and as soon as i see large colonies that start making queen cells there's your cell builder you know a lot of people try to make a cell builder or make a colony want a swarm or whatever but they haven't gone through the whole process you know they're basically not in the mood they may be big but i basically just follow the bees lead you know Whenever they tell me it's time, because they know, they're, they're programmed. Whenever the nectar and pollen turns on and the lengthening daylight hours, they start making queen cells. And subsequently, they always do that right after the drone production is really turned on, usually in multiple colonies. So I just wait until I find a swarmy colony, and I pull the queen out. And I, the short version is I pull the queen out, I put grafts in, and I add a feeder and fill it up and leave. So basically, swarmy colonies, the way I look at it is they're, they're ready-made cell builders you just have to take advantage of them you know they're full of resources they already want to raise queens so you're already in line with their goals you know your goals and their goals align which is important so you don't find yourself paddling upstream and the way i do that is graft into them and then i'll go back seven days later and sometimes they'll make emergency queens they'll take your grafts i almost always have a fair number of grafts taken if they're big swarmy colonies but sometimes They'll make queen cells, too. They'll use a cell-building colony for at least three weeks. So the first week, I kind of take whatever I get, and I'll take those cells, and then I go frame by frame and take out any emergency queens. And you've already waited seven days, seven or eight days. So like we said earlier, they're hopelessly queenless. 
So there's no competition in there. Whenever you have an enormous cell builder like that, a double deep colony that's just can't even see the frames. There's so many bees in it. Wow, you can really make some quality queens, or they make that. And so then seven days, I go back and I do the same thing. I pull the queen cells out, I regraft and drop it in there and and give them any syrup if I need to. I I, I don't really feed a whole lot for spring stimulation. They kind of handle that on their own, but I do feed cell builder colonies and I do feed small nukes that are kind of weak and really need a little bump. You know, they may not have enough foragers to really bring in what they need, but that's my process. So I stay on a weekly schedule. You know, that way I graft every Monday. My coworkers probably get annoyed because I take off every Monday, last part of March, April, May, and usually at least half or all of June. And so, you know, every weekend I got queens emerging in the incubator. And every Monday, I next day air them out to the lower 48, whoever may want to try some virgin queens from Stevens Bee Company. And, you know, I usually run, depending on demand, early, I usually ramp it up because I have pre-orders I need to burn through. You know, I'll run, you know, upwards of 10 cell builders. If I need to do more or less, it's easy to adjust. Hopefully business keeps growing and I'll have to do more in the future. Well, I'm not surprised. I have to brag on you a little bit because I'm in one of those postal zones that's apparently the end of the world to the postal service. So even though I pay, you know, I pay, when I want to try out Queen Lines, I pay for the super duper shipping. Mm-hmm. And I swear to you, nobody has ever made it to me overnight. I mean, I'm just lucky oh. if they make it in a few days. So I don't even know if you remember, but I wrote you. It and, was two days. Wasn't oh, it? my God. It was like three or four um Oh, you know, really? I, I mean, I was kind of like, man, these queens, they're never going to make it. They're, they're so dead. And I got them. In fact, I had, texted, I had texted my spouse. I had texted my best bee friend. I'm like, man, I'm going to the post office <laughs> to pick up dead bees because the post office lost them. <laughs> First of all, I come home and there's a note on my door. We have your queens. Now, they didn't say where the queens were. Of course, it was after work. So I'm like, oh, great. It's like on a weekend. I forget what horror it was. So I finally, I I go to pick up these bees that I expect to be dead. And there they are. Every single one just cranking away. So Everybody was good. They were. As I ran home, I put them in. But I'm still like, man, these are never going to make it. Because who knows? You know, they're not. They're virgins. They're never going to make it. But they did. And I was so proud of them. You must really take care of them before you put them in the boxes because I could not I believe they were still alive. And, and it kind of varies, too. I'm, I'm in the transportation industry for my day job, and I, whenever I was in college, that was my forte. Is I, I, I work the dock. I at LTL or trucking companies. I've worked for FedEx, all parcel. So I know what kind of stress these things go through. That's why I only ship next day air. And with next day air... I have no problem. I guarantee live delivery. So if they show up dead, you know, shoot me a pic. I'll replace them. No questions asked. I well, get it. I was so <laughs> impressed. Well, I, you listen, I worked for a year for UPS. I know what those packages go yeah, through. So you know. Yeah, yeah, you right. understand. It's ugly, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible. Right. But, I mean, it's kind of cool that we can do that now. Though. I mean, next day air, that, that's pretty cool. That is. It, that it's is. hard to fathom sometimes. Well, if you don't live, you know, in the mountains of North Carolina, in theory, they should be at your next at your doorstep the next. Day. Well, I've already, I have already oh. f- several friends set up in Asheville, which is the nearest large town. And I'm like, look, when I order queens, I'm going to have them shipped to your house, and I'm just going to drive to your house Perfect. because they they don't know where Burnsville <laughs> is. Yeah. Well, oh, well, Corey, it has been such fun talking to you. Oh, you too. That concludes the interview with Corey Stevens of Stevens Bee Company. You can find him at stevensbeeco.com.
stevenstevens.com. That's S-T-E-V-E-N-S. I hope you've enjoyed this interview. Thank you all for being listeners of Beekeeping at Five Apple Farm.